Welcome to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. With over 20 years of experience as a clinical psychologist, Susie is an expert at taking people on a journey of personal growth and self-discovery. Join Susie as she talks to remarkable people who share their insights and lessons for living a purpose-driven life to inspire you in your own journey. Hello and welcome to Empowered Conversations. We are back after a little bit of a break just to regroup as life happens. And I'm so excited to be interviewing a very, very dear guest. A big welcome to Bill Hamilton. How are you going, Bill? I'm really good. Thanks, Susie. How are you? I'm really honoured to have you here. I'm I'm going really well. It's a sunshiny day after some rain that we've had here in Sydney. So what better way to start Monday than doing what I what I love doing and what's always been a privilege for me, which is sharing people's stories and sharing people's journeys. Bill, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Well, before I mention the Parkinson's, which has come on the scene in the last two years, um, I'm a married man with a wife and three kids. I'm 78. I've been retired from the normal full-time work for about 20 years. After I retired, I took on a lot of other things part-time or on a voluntary basis, and I've had a lot of experience in all sorts of things, a lot of charity work, community work, that sort of thing. Um, In fact, I was acknowledged in the Australia Day medal one year, so I've got what's called an OAM, Order of Australia Medal, for work in the community. Wow. I did not know about this, Bill. No, I don't tell everybody and, you know, Something that you've received humbly, if I can put it that way. Yeah, I, I'd like to think so. If I had, before they give you the medal, they ask you if you were offered one, would you accept it? And I said yes. I've sometimes wondered whether I would say yes if I was um, made that offer again. Why is that? Oh, uh, it's it's to do with people who know you really well who don't say good on you. And you wonder why that is, you know, are they really true friends? And I don't worry about it at all, you know, it's just passing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, some people just seem to be a little bit jealous or envious or that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some what I thought were very close friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that's just a minor thing. Um, I'm proud to have received the award and... Life well, goes on. Yeah. Well, congratulations, Bill, because those awards aren't handed, um, you know, uh, that easily. Yeah. There's there's definitely a, a, a recognition. That's right. Um, to those that receive it. So I, I wonder if you can, you know, you started sharing a little bit about you, where you're at at the moment, um, and a little bit about your retirement and work. Um that you had been certainly in the community, but what were you doing prior to retiring? Oh, for a long time. See, when I was leaving school, I wanted to be a chartered accountant and um, I was lined up to become a trainee chartered accountant in the city in Sydney. Um, But my father took hold of me and said he didn't think that was a good idea. He'd been through the Great Depression and the the wars, that type of thing, Mm. and he thought there were, Two very important things um, that you needed to get. One was senior, one was um, superannuation, and the other was security, having been through the depression and those sorts of things. Mm. And he thought the public service was the place to go. 
So he took me down to the New South Wales Public Service Office and I ended up becoming a public servant, a clerk in the Registrar General's Department. And that was mainly about land titles and conveyancing, but it also had a birth, deaths and marriages branch. And I, in the early days at the Registrar General's Department, was mm. appointed as the youngest registrar of birth, deaths and marriages and I was at, located at Burwood. Oh, wow. Susie, I'll never – it took – Taught me a lot about life, that job, because people come in for all different reasons, you know, from funerals or the, on the birth of a child or to get married and so on. Mm. And it, it showed you people in all different types of um, light. Um, well, like even now, if, if I can just ask you, because yeah. that, that was early on in your career, that was your oh, first, what did it? I, I was 18. Oh, my goodness. So. Yeah. That's a that's that's a big job. That's a like I can't imagine eighteen year olds now wanting to go into that kind of um, job. I'm sure there would be those yeah. who are interested, but you know that comes big level of responsibility and seriousness with that job. What did you take away from that? Like, what did it open you up to? Oh, people. Uh, you know that was the job. Um, apart from the land titles, which is registration of you know transfers of houses and leases and all that sort of thing. It taught me about people. Um, I'll give you an example. I'll never forget the second marriage I performed. The first I can't remember a thing about other than I was very young and I was very nervous. And when I got to the point, I now pronounce you man and wife, the woman just looked at me and didn't say a word. And the guy that had taught me how to do this said that if that happens, I usually say something like, it's now customary for the groom to kiss the bride. So I said that, and she said very quickly, he's not kissing me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that taught me that people don't get married just because they're in love. She was yeah. getting married in 19, this was oh, wow. 1981, uh, 1961, 1961, I wasn't married myself. Um, so that the child she was about to have wasn't illegitimate. Ah. She just wanted to be, because in those days it was a, a bit of a stigma to be yeah, of having a child was. out of wedlock. Yeah. So that's what it was all about. And she came in after that when she was doing shopping around Burwood and used to have, tell me that she'd never forget the look on my face when she said that. <laughs> oh, you came across her later on. Yeah, she used to come in and oh, see me. Wow. You know, as a shop, just when yeah. she did the shopping in Burwood yeah. Road there. So, you yeah, so that's to, one thing. So you hang on, let me just recap this. You used to perform this, mm. the Registry of Marriages, Births and Deaths, but you used to do this at the age of? 18. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. No, I actually can't imagine 18-year-olds now doing that. I just, no, well, I can't either because I was fairly shy at the time. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, but the Registrar General's Department was big and it had all different types of parts. Wow, and, yeah. And, and they used to, have, used to be very keen on rotational training mm. and the people that they thought could handle that type of job got posted into those jobs for right. a while. And, um, so where did that take you to? What ha how long oh, were you in that for? I was in that for 13 months um, because I did it pretty well, like uh, people pay money for birth certificates, death certificates, and even to get married, that type of thing. 
And the guy that was in te- head of the department, um, the Registrar-General, used to come and visit those offices and he was mostly um, interested in how you'd been keeping the books and whether you'd been banking the money and whether it was all accounted for. Well, I'm pretty good at those sorts of things, finance things, and I don't take them lightly, yeah. accountability, all that type of thing. And um, so after 13 months... It was a fairly short time. I got called into town and I became the personnel officer. And I'm still fairly young Mm. at that time. Mm. Then then I went for this um, assessment. I was asked to go for an assessment to see whether I had the qualities to become a a department head, you know, a very senior person. At this stage, I'm about 24 Mm -hmm. and it was the most silly system, I thought you were confronted by about five or six department heads for over a period of five days and it was all about management games, IQ tests and everything else. Mm. And they decided that I was on the IQ and that I was pretty high, but on the management games I showed an inclination not to help the others with solutions and that sort of thing. In fact, I, I thought it was a bit beneath me because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I thought that it was a bit beneath me to have five people sitting like a jury mm. peering down on you as you did exercises with the other mm. people involved and all that type of thing. So I got a, a rating that I was too young to have been there and I was either a genius or a dill. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, it was interesting, but that took – that was the reason that I then left the Registrar General's mm. Department. They told me that I should get um, broader experience and go to what was then called the Public Service Board, mm. a central agency that controlled all the departments with the rules and regulations and whatever. Mm. So that's where I went for about eight years. And then I went to Youth and Community Services and then I went to Industrial Relations. These are all departments. And I ended up in the last 15 years at the education department, the head office in Bridge Street as the director of administration. Yeah. So right. um, I had the time in my life, you know, with over 2,200 government schools and over 100,000 staff in the schools that, you know, they all needed help and all mm. that type of thing with finances and technology and whatever. What did you, I mean, you say you had the time of your life, right? I did. What did you, what was it that you loved about that oh, job? Oh, it was the people. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I've often reflected the chartered accountancy would have been the worst thing for me. I didn't know. I was just going to say that, Bill. I, I know you, I'm no, I, we've known each other now for maybe... Close to two, two or three years. Two, yeah, two or three years. By the way, just a side note that I've um, Bill and I met um, on our morning walks. So yeah, we we sure. we walked the same routes around over in inner west in Abbotsford, and we would say good morning to each other. And then one morning, Bill stopped me. Well, we said good morning, and then you said, "I don't know your name." That's right. <laughs> So then that's how we connected. I got to learn about Bill and Bill certainly got to learn about me and I've just always had a lot of um, interest, Bill, in, you know, your experience in life and hence the opportunity to interview was, um, um, yeah, really honoured 
to mm. to be able to do that. Okay, so so what I wanted to say, coming back, circling back to I, you know, you are a people person. So I, you know, on the one hand, you've got those chartered accountant skills. You're good with maths numbers, but you're not typical in that sense. In that you um, you you're also really intuitive, aren't you? Like you're a real the word that comes is feeler. Like you really you you connect with people and you get you you're, can you can read people pretty quickly. You're into the Myers Briggs, are you? Um, I've never actually used Myers Briggs. That's oh. but um, I'm familiar with it. Yes. Yeah, I was assessed once uh, on that, <laughs> and I I was um, ascribed an ENFP. I can't even remember now, Susie, what they're. He's extrovert, mm. NFP, I'm a feelings type of person. Okay, yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes I get all the information and it's pointing in a certain direction. It's clearly obvious that this is the way to go, but I'll say, no, that would be too harsh. I don't want to do that. I, I want to go this way. It's, right. It's the feelings and, and the the N, I can't remember the N and, and the P. There was something there. I mean, it, I mean, it's interesting. <laughs> it it didn't really make a difference to you doing the Maya Briggs because you always probably just follow that anyhow. I yeah. mean, it helped you understand maybe why you do the things that you do. It does sometimes, yeah. Tell me a little bit about that. So, you know, last 15 years, your department, your um, head of um, education department um, or the administration. Yeah. Um, (laughs) what's that? Not the whole lot. Yeah. But, um, and, and here you are, you've got this, you've got this rational, rational part to you, but you also have this feeling part to you. And I'm just wondering, were there any instances where you felt, yep, all the things that I have here are pointing in this direction, but something tells me no, like, was there an example of that that you can remember? I'm just curious more about that. I wonder whether... You could look at that in another way. What did I do after I retired for the last 20-odd years? I retired 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. And what have I done? Well, I made a decision. I didn't really want to do what most of the people that retire from education department or teachers and so on do. They stay in that field. Mm-hmm. They love it and they stay. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do other things that I would have liked to have done but and had done some of while mm. I was working. I just wanted to, to do more of that. So what I did was become very heavily involved in um, a charity called Stuart House, which mm. is all about kids that have had a tough time mm. in life. They're not bad kids and they go down to Stuart House at Harbord for two weeks and they're shown another way of life that they, a lot of them would never have realised existed. Um, the, it started in 1930 as a place where children could go because their mums and dads are out of work in the Depression mm. and they were suffering from, the, well, malnutrition in the main. These days the kids are there more because they're neglected or they're abused and so on, and it's a, it's a very sad place mm. when you see what some kids have had to put up with, but it's a very happy place when you see what Stuart House can do for those kids and give them an outlook. Mm. Even though they're only there two weeks, it's completely different to what it was when they started. Mm. And then I um, 
I, I mentored students at Sydney University in, in the Graduate School of Business. I was asked to do that by one of the professors there. I did that for about five years. Wow. How, how, how did that come about? You just knew someone he who knew could- me from yeah. the public service right. days. Right, okay. And in fact, he was one of the board members when I mentioned that I, I went to the public service board. Mm. There were three actual board members and- you may have heard of him, David Richmond. He he wrote the Richmond Report on people with mental mm, illness. That was a little while ago. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's 20, 30 yeah, years ago yeah. now. Um, yeah, he knew me, so that's how I became involved mm. in the mentoring at Sydney University. Mm. And then I've always been mad keen on rugby league. I grew up right next door to the Sydney Football Stadium at Paddington my father played for them back in the 1930s. Oh, wow. I was brought up on eastern suburbs who are now called the Sydney Roosters. Yeah. And I had become a friend with one of those guys and he put in a good word for me and I ended up working at the Sydney Roosters for nine or just under 10 years in the football department, not in the leagues club, not the commercial side, but with the players, you know. Mm. What did I do? I found them accommodation. You know, when the kids came down from the country or New Zealand or mm. some of the islanders, they needed help in finding accommodation and, and knowing what Sydney was all about. Yeah. And how you get here and how you get there and stay away from here and all that yes. type of thing. Yeah. And I and they had a lot of money in in arrears. People don't always pay their sponsorships and people hire um boxes at the football games and all that sort of, you know, accommodation mm. and seats and all that, and they're a bit slow paying for it afterwards. Um, so I used to chase them up and get the debts down. And then I became... Um, Sorry, Bill, before you go on, I just want to know, how did you do that? Did you have a special voice that you would... How did you do it? Did you have special skills that you were able to do that? I had to be careful how I did it because some of these people were fairly well connected to mm. the people that were running the football club, like the board of directors and that mm. sort of thing. So you had so, to be careful not to step on Yeah, not toes. To push too hard. Yeah. So I was – I used two Ps, Susie. I was always polite. I, I used the phone. <laughs> In the main, I used the phone. Is that the first P? <laughs> the P was – Always be polite, but always be persistent. Uh -huh. and, and and if they didn't pay up after you'd phoned them a couple of times, well, let them know that you're taking notes, you're keeping records, and what you said to me on the 14th of July was so-and-so. Well, where are we up to? D didn't you do that, you know? Mm. And once they realised I was wasting their time, which mm. is money to them, they're all in private business, yeah. Then they'd usually pay. If at the end of the day they didn't pay, well, I had a solicitor who was doing it mm. on a voluntary basis who'd send them a, a, a legal letter, you know. Mm. So I got all of them. I got – I reduced their debts quite significantly. Wow. And then I was asked to become the, the drug tester, <laughs> the anti-doping officer. Yeah, that's me. 
<laughs> from the debt collector to the drug tester oh, at, for at the same Sydney time, Roosters. I was expanding my role <laughs> and I, lo- I just loved it. Like I'm there with the players. Yeah. And Is that what was really exciting for you and yeah. to be able to contribute then to the team in the way that you yeah, did? Yeah, that's right. Right, okay. And, and I was given all that stuff you see me wearing down on the water and mm-hmm. you know, the rooster stuff. This is on our morning walks. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was all given to me uh-huh. when I worked at the roosters. Mm. I've got heaps of it, you mm. know, coats and tracksuit pants and scarves and beanies and caps and, and everything. Mm. Um, they At first it was on a voluntary basis, but then they thought I was doing so much they needed to pay me, so I used to get paid a few b- b- dollars. Mm. Um, each year for doing that, but I loved all that. Mm. I loved. Then along came one of the coaches who who wanted me to become the football manager, and that involves you know a, a fair. It's easy. Well, everything mm-hmm. was easy, but it takes up a lot of time, and you've got to do it pretty meticulously. You can't have the players overseas in New Zealand say, mm. and they haven't got the right gear. You know, they haven't got the right jumpers for this game mm, mm. or whatever. Down to the food, they they eat the, the rooms you book for the accommodation when they're travelling. They don't all get a room by themselves. The captain does that, but all the others have to be matched up and you've got to make sure that you, you've got the right players, even wow. though they're all on the one side sharing the, the, the rooms. You know, you don't get that wrong. Yeah. Anyway, I was having a, a fantastic time. Lynn's still working. This is your wife. Yeah, yeah, Lynn's my wife. But it all came to an end one morning and Lynn's bed and she said, is this all we spend our life for, for you never to be home? I thought, yeah, I'm not home much. Uh-huh. So I had to cut it back and then that became the, the beginning of the end for the roosters. I'm, I still know, you know quite a few of them, but... And I go to lunch with um, the guy that got me involved. I still go regularly to lunch with him. He's an ex-footballer and played for Queensland, quite an accomplished footballer. Mm. But I'm, I don't go into the office like I used to most most days when I was working there part-time. Mm. Oh, and I did other things. Um, Incredible. You know. um, you've shared some of this with me. And what I find fascinating is how you um i suppose how you that for lack of a better word fell into that and yet you've always loved you know this particular team given the connection that uh, with your father who's played you know who played yeah. for Sydney Roosters back in the um, 30s but i'm just you know I, I suppose i want to unpack your philosophy to life around you know I don't know what comes to me is how do you fall, how do you, because, okay, let me just pause for a moment. You're someone who's, who comes across and and you are, Bill, you know, fairly calm, fairly centred, grounded person. I don't know if that was always you, you know. Yeah, it was actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you've just kind of. You know, you, you, you're not one to – and patience, so I imagine you're not one to jump into things impulsively um, and even at such a young age. I mean, to be doing the work that you did at 18 for um, – yeah. <laughs> um, what I'm curious about is um, how, is that something that 
habits continue to grow as you grew older or is it just always been a part of you? Um, you know, this is me asking a question as a psychologist, but also some someone who is always curious about people's temperament, personalities, you know. Did you shape that as well with life? Did life teach you lessons or were you always that innately calm, grounded and patient person? Well, I think it works a bit both ways. It was partly innate. I was born with it and and I think some of it was learnt, you know. I'm I don't get always get my own way. I am impulsive sometimes. Mainly with buying things. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I've seen people complete great metrics of information in buying a car, you know. Mm. How many seats will it have? How many cylinders? What's the miles per gallon? Da da da. What colours can you get? And all all the rest of it. And then not buy a car. Because it became <laughs> too complex. This one's best at that and this one's best at that and da-da-da. Whereas I, I'm more inclined to see a car uh-huh. and, and find out what it, how it goes and whether it's reliable and buy it if I've got the money. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know that that sounds impulsive to me. It sounds like someone who maybe to me, I would say you don't tend to overthink things. No, I don't overthink it when I come to buying yeah. things and but but I felt when I um got the Parkinson's I I'm jumping ahead to that, but there was yeah. a comment that the uh, neurologist made that I stored away and I do I do tend to do that when I somebody says something, sometimes it hits a mark and, and I store it away. I'll never forget it. Whether it be good or bad? Yeah, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the neurologist said um, the second time I, I saw him, when I said, look, I've, I brought along a note with a few things on it. It's All it's on my notes is, are issues that I want to raise today. I don't, I don't want to get home and remember I forgot to ask about something. And he said, yeah, fairly typical of people with, um, with Parkinson's. They're usually very organised people. Is that and, right? And so here's another indicator that you've got Parkinson's. It doesn't prove you've got mm. it, but it fits the model. So, yeah, I, I am a bit like that. Mm. It's interesting, um, isn't it? I mean, I, it's, it's always wonderful talking to you, Bill, because there's so much wisdom that comes through in, oh, in you know, in yeah. terms of how and, – and, and a real great sense of humour <laughs> – yeah, I like the humour. We've got to keep things light, you yeah. know. Um, tell me about that time, you know, about when you got diagnosed with Parkinson's. Did you have an inkling first before you received the formal diagnosis? I didn't have an inkling that I had Parkinson's. In fact, I knew nothing about it. But what had happened, it goes back about two years or so now, I started to feel a bit fuzzy in the head and I don't know whether that is the right word, but it was a bit slightly dizzy, not clear-headed. And my left hand started to shake sometimes. You know, this is when I'm down on the water taking Jake. Jake is the dog. (laughs) Jake is a beautiful um, chocolate brown Labrador. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And I didn't take any notice of it at first, but after a while I mentioned it to the GP and um, he thought it was um, just nerves or something like that. Some kind of tremor. Yeah. um, He called it um, essential tremor. Yeah, something, you know, that some people develop and it's nothing to worry about. But Mm. I didn't just sweep it under the carpet. Like it... Nothing got worse, but it was on my mind. Mm. So I, when I was next, or when I was with him again later on, I I asked the GP if he could give me a referral just so I could, you know, check it out. So he referred me to a neurologist, and he explained there's no single test that will determine whether you've got Parkinson's disease. And this is only two years ago, and mm. I understand there still isn't. Um, it's a process of elimination. The first thing I've got to do is go and have an, um, um, what do you call it, an ultrasound uh, or an MRI, one or the other, I get them mixed yeah. up, on my brain. So I went and had that and he then ex- explained to my wife, Lynn and I, that going through on his laptop in his office, all the different shades and this white line and black line, explained the results and said there's nothing wrong with your brain at all. Your brain's fine. It's quite healthy. In other words, not suffering from some other things that might be causing you to have those sorts of symptoms that you explain. Mm. So what we what I do is I, I look upon analysing people f- to see whether they've got Parkinson's, like having a jigsaw puzzle. you're saying certain things, you're giving me information about what's happening, Mm -hmm. like the shakes now and again and only in your left hand. Mm. And and he also in his office, which was a little bit bigger than this, got me to walk like a straight line, toe to heel and all that Mm. in tandem, all that type of thing, and do things with my fingers and legs. And and, and when when he saw something that, fitted the mould for somebody with Parkinson's, he'd make a note. Mm. And when he's got enough pieces of the jigsaw puzzle, he then decides he's in a position to say, you've got Parkinson's disease. And that's how that happened. Mm. Yeah, it was a process of um, elimination, but mainly the brain scan, like I didn't have motor neuron disease or a brain tumour or some of those sorts of things. He quickly explained that having um, Parkinson's disease would mean that I would not die from it, mm-hmm. but I would die with it. Mm. And it's a gene- gen- um, degen- degenerative um, disease, mm-hmm. but you don't really know what that means because it's different for different people. Mm. Um, a lot of people that I've met since um, – I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's, think it's the shakes. You know, a lot of people have um, yeah. that all the time. And they're not used to people like me. I'm I'm a bit rare. that I don't have sh- the shakes most of the time. And if I start to shake now, yeah. it'll be my left hand, but I can stop it just by realising starting to shake, stop that. Interesting. It stops. Interesting, yeah. But what I can't stop is this continual sort of dizzy feeling mm-hmm. and um, and tiredness. I, you know, I get tired and I kick in the bed of a night time, mm-hmm. which doesn't mm-hmm. 
give joy, um, give Lynn too much joy. No, no, it's Lynn. Yeah. Which <laughs> doesn't give Lynn too much joy. <laughs> I knew where you were going with that for sure. Yeah. Um, how has this, it's been two years. Mm. How has the journey been for you? What, you know, I'm particularly interested in your attitude to the diagnosis and what you've chosen to do about it. I've learned a lot in the last two years, um, Susie. Um, the first thing I, I decided was the right thing, but I'm disappointed I had to do it. At that time, I was running a retirement village on a voluntary basis. Yeah, I'd, Which you failed to mention, okay. Yeah, I'd, <laughs> Another well, voluntary are, I can't. <laughs> I just like getting involved and being yeah. busy and doing yeah. things that I think might be helping other people. Yeah. The retirement village is a part of the Catholic Church where I go at Five Dock, um, but it's independent of the Catholic Church. It's not run by the Catholic mm. Church. Um, it's run by the Catholic Church hierarchy, but not the local Five Dock Church. And the parish priest is involved, and the person that was running it had um, a group of people at first that helped him, um, but they all decided that was they'd spent enough time and he was there by himself. He's a lawyer. So they put a notice in the weekly bulletin at the Five Dock Church asking for anybody that was interested to join the board to come forward. I did nothing because I thought this will be a, a boat race, you know, there'll be somebody picked out mm. for that. Mm. Um, you can't just walk in off the street and do that sort of stuff. Mm. Um and, and in a week or two, a month or two, they'll announce who got the job. So I sat back and did nothing and then it was re-advertised and then I knew oh, I might be a fair income role. So I yeah. made inquiries with the parish priest and the solicitor that was doing it. And, well, before I knew it, I wasn't only on the board, I was running it because the other guy, the solicitor, he wanted to get out of it too. It was mm. becoming too much. He had Parkinson's disease mm. and it was becoming too much for him. And there and there was a fair bit in that and there was a bit of pressure on because the, the residents aren't all of the one voice. Some want something done and some want something else done with the monies they pay and all that type of thing. Uh, and there's a fair amount of um, responsibility when it comes to the monies mm. that these people pass over and and the returning it to them when they die or to the estate when they die and all that type of thing. So I decided that it was time for me too. Um, so I gave it, and I'd been doing that for three years, and I really liked it because it did it did call on your skills a bit, mm. that job, mm. and your people skills, you know, dealing with people mm. who wanted to get rid of a 93-year-old woman because she left the the, the stove on one night and we'll all get burnt down. Mm. They're all in a complex of 24 units all together. Mm. And I'm thinking, see, this is the feeling coming out, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought, how can I face her, the woman and the family? She's 93 and tell her she's got to leave. Yeah. So what I did was got her daughter to take her to the doctor and see if the doctor would give a certificate saying she was still able to live independently in that mm. type of environment in her own unit at that retirement village. It's not a nursing mm. home, it's a retirement village. 
and and the doctor did, so she stayed. Well, the woman that was trying to run the place, who wanted her out, wasn't too happy, so that caused other things to mm. then come to the service. You know, it was always a tug of war with two or three people. I've, I decided I didn't need that anymore, mm. and so I gave that away. Mm. And a part of you, as you were saying, was sad that you had to give it away? I did give it away. Yeah. Yeah. Did you miss it? Yeah, I, I do miss it. and Still. Mm. And I still miss it because I, I think it needs to. What then happened was I recommended to um, the parish priest that he bring on board another or an external firm, mm. you know, outsource it. Mm. In fact, the Five Dock one, um, Monsignor John Peoples Retirement Village, mm. it's called. It was the only one that was being run by volunteers, myself and this mm. other guy. Um, mm. So it was time for us to bring on board a professional outfit. The residents now pay more because yeah. those managers, external managers, have to be paid. Yeah. Um, so, so that's a downside of it. What happened coincidentally, and it probably fits, you know, what you said earlier, things happen for a reason. Mm. I was telling friends up at Foster, we've got, Lynn and I have got a house at Foster, um, and I was telling these friends, he's got Parkinson's, what had happened to me, and they mentioned this. And, and you're holding, Bill, in your hand a book called The New Parkinson's Treatment, Exercises, Medicine by Melissa McConaughey. Yeah, Did that's I pronounce it. that pro- properly? Yes. Mm. Tell me about that read. What that is telling you is that exercise is essential. If you, it's, it's about Parkinson's disease, but it would probably apply to other mm. ailments as well, that if you have – if you're diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, the worst thing for you to do is to go into a bunker and 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 sit back and, and when the sun's out, like on a nice day today, sit in the sun and read the paper. Mm. It's the worst thing you can do. You've you've got to stay active and the best way to stay active is to do these specially designed exercises that Medicos have designed and physiotherapists for people with Parkinson's disease. So Lynn and I made more inquiries about this mm-hmm. PD mm-hmm. warrior, it's called. PD warrior. Warrior. And the word warrior, Susie, is used deliberately because you've got to fight it. Yeah. You don't surrender to it. You just don't go along with Parkinson's disease because if you do, things will start to happen that will make it a lot worse. Mm. That's what they say in the book, if you do the exercise especially designed mm. for Parkinson's disease, which I do every week at, at, the, at the Ride Re, Royal, uh, Royal Ride Rehabilitation Private Hospital, then you're, you're going to likely reduce the, the, the speed at which it takes hold mm-hmm. or stop it, control it altogether. Mm. And I... I really firmly believe that those exercises, that program, warrior program, has has helped me to the extent that it's it's. It, I would say to people who are diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, get in early and start up on that. Mm-hmm. 
you can do it online but and and do it by yourself um so you don't have to expose yourself to other people and that yeah. type of thing some of them um you know do have the shakes and they're a bit conscious of that and and some people don't do it because of that whereas i i thought i can't do it online i i'd rather go somewhere and i found that the royal ride Mm. Uh, rehab hospital run the PD Warrior program. They have to be certified before they can run the program, and mm. they are. Mm. People up at Foster can't do it because there's nobody in that area that's authorised to, to run the PD Warrior program. Mm. So I, I say what that program has taught me, that program in the main has mm. taught me is you need medication if you get if you're diagnosed with Parkinson's, you need proper exercise, tailor made exercise, and you need association. It's mere medication, ah. exercise, e m e a association. You need to stay involved with people. That's why I do Is it. Is that at the right. association part? Yeah, that's the association yeah. part. So I. I'd like to go to ride and be with mm. other people because then it's not only exercises that have been designed for people with Parkinson's, yeah. the, the, the physiotherapists that take care of me are telling me to do ex- exercises that are a little bit different to this person or that person or that one over there. It's tailored made on the spot mm. for what they have decided it's, you need most. Yeah. It's 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 really sounds good. Sounds brilliant. Yeah. Um and you know, you coupled with that, you still you go on your daily walks. Yeah, I go on my daily walks. Um you the other thing that you've mentioned to me is that more recently you've um started a speech oh, uh, yeah, that's right. therapy or speech exercise program. Can you I tell have. me a bit about that? Yeah, too? just the going on my walks, just briefly. Yeah. I do that for two reasons. I've I've walked in the morning for many, many years, probably 40 years. It's good for your fitness and that sort of thing, but it, it's also good for Jake the dog, the brown chocolate, <laughs> chocolate Labrador. <laughs> but now it's more important also because it's association. I wouldn't yeah. be sitting here with Susie exactly. if I hadn't done that. Exactly. And I like talking to people who, who don't have Parkinson's too. If all the associations mm. I have are people with Parkinson's, I'm getting a warped view mm. of society and life, and that's so mm. I like saying hello to Susie and <laughs> others whose names I won't mention. <clears throat> but I saw her this morning; she didn't see me. Your mate, <laughs> <laughs> another friend of mine. Yes, yeah, that's right. Oh, it's yeah, yeah, it's um, important. That's right. Mm. So, where were? What was your question? Speech. Again? So, oh, so speech yeah, pathology. That's come about because. Um, the neurologist, when I was first um, meeting him, first or second time I saw him, I've only seen him three or four times. In the two-year period? In the two-year mm-hmm. period, yeah. Or maybe it's six times, so, mm. yeah. Um, he said that people with Parkinson's disease can sometimes have speech problems. It, it's one of the things that could develop. There's a higher incidence of of um, Parkinson's or there's a higher incidence in um, speech problems of people with Parkinson's than 
than there is with people without Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. So if if on your journeys with the people you you now become involved in at Ride, all of which you know the PD Warrior program, he totally agrees with. I think he's been learning a lot of it from the feedback he's getting on me. Um, He said that that is extremely good, and you should if. If something comes along, if they're offering anything on speech pathology, do it. Even mm-hmm. if there's nothing wrong with your speech now, do it because it could happen to you and you'll be ready for for it if it happens. What what you can do, there are special mm-hmm. exercises for that. So he put me down on the waiting list for the um, speech pathology department at Concord Hospital. And, yeah, there is somebody that – Designs things. Well, what happened was. Hang on, hang on. Just, just a note here. You looked up. You looked above heaven. <laughs> heaven yeah. above. Yeah. yeah, there is. <laughs> yeah, there is somebody up there, um, mm. or down there, or somewhere. Mm. Um, the woman who was the head of the um, speech pathology unit at Concord was appointed to the job at Ride Rehab Hospital. And I would have had to wait years. The waiting list for the Concord speech pathology treatment was years. And and if you rang them up, they'd just say, "Yeah, you're you're on the list." You know, there are people here that are much longer than you, and that type of mm. thing. So she's now running. She started up speech but a speech pathology pathology unit at Ride. So. That's like a not part Brilliant. of the PD Warrior. I I do that once a once a month, on the first Thursday of each month. This is the speech. Yeah, the speech yeah. pathology. But the PD Warrior is yeah. once a week. Once a week. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's how the speech. And I've only done two sessions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hoot. Why is it a hoot? <clears throat> Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> The first thing that happened is, you know, go around the table. There's probably 10, 12 people there and tell us how you've been going. And one of the, f- the poor women that's, the, the, the woman that's running it, the speech pathologist, said, how about we start with you, Jack? Let's call him Jack. And Jack, Jack said, well, I've been coming here for three years and I'm not getting any benefit. And he was so negative. He was so on, on everything he said, you know. And I thought, oh, God. So it, it was the worst thing that could have happened for somebody starting. That happened at the first session mm. when she's trying to kick off a new yeah. program in a new and new place. Um, I, I suppose it got a little bit better. But beyond that, it was, you, you would have been involved before. You, you're given cards. You're not allowed to look at the card. And on the card, it might be a cow or a tree or whatever or an apple. And you hold it up to put everybody else in the room and they give you clues. They're not allowed to tell you what it is, but they yeah. give you clues. And and everybody's laughing, you yeah. know. It, yeah. It's an, an animal. Oh, it's fantastic. Or, I love that game. Yeah. 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 Well, you yeah. know all about yeah. it. Um, so we're all doing that and some of the some of the questions that people ask, you know, and, and the answers given it, it's so we all had a lot of fun. And then, then she goes through the exit, you know, the exercises of the R. Uh, Do you, you know those ones? 
Ah, and for as yeah. long as you can, and, and, and keep the the tone the same and the volume the same, mm. and then go from a deep note to a high note. Ah, only much louder than that and longer, and then the reverse high to low and mm. whatever. Yeah, fantastic. So I that's mean, what that's all about. That's, I mean, a, that's only started. That um, alone, I think we share this conversation, yeah. just to do that kind of toning every day is good for anyone. Just yeah, yeah. opens up so so much so much of our energy and, and voice and yeah, yeah. so much breathing. The bre- We open up our own breathing, which I imagine would also help in some way, not that I'm too f- I'm not familiar with Parkinson's research. Um, I suppose what I want to acknowledge and just say is, Bill, what I've really admired about you and your journey with Parkinson's is your determination and will and persistence to go back to your P, actually two, two P's, your patience and persistence with mm-hmm. Parkinson's. Um, what do you continue to learn about yourself um, as you navigate this journey with Parkinson's? Oh, I'm braver. I'm much braver when I talk about what's happening than I am in reality, I suppose. My wife, Lynn, has been just invaluable, you know, in sticking with me and and talking to me straight, you know, when sometimes I'm starting to feel, oh, I don't know. I don't feel as, you know, I've... I think at the moment the balance issue is becoming worse. Physical balance, like. Physical balance. Mm-hmm. But when I am tested for that over at Ride, I excel. Like I'm in the, in the advanced class and, and there's one um, exercise that you do, which is um, you put your right foot forward and your left foot forward and then your right foot back and your left foot and then you do it left, right left, right, with your feet. And it gets advanced to the stage. You're not on the floor. You're on rocks, like rocks that you'd, you'd see at the, oh, yeah. at, at the beach. Yeah. You know, crooked rocks with holes in them. Yeah. And, and there's four of them. And you do that exercise right, left, right, left, left, right, left, right, like that. So some of them are going backwards and forward. I never, ever overbalance. And there's other people in the class who can't get the first one, you know, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're in the advanced class too, so they know that over there at Ride. Mm. This, this boy's pretty bloody clever. But give, him, <laughs> give him this and he won't be sad. And they do. And that's, that's what I need. Yeah. So you need a challenge. I need it. yeah, and I... I've always been like that, Susie. I, I need a challenge. And, um, you know, I'm a bit cautious about, and I'm, I'm a bit of a worrier and lends all the things that I need when I get into that sort of stupid mood. So she, she grounds you, pulls you back out of, you know, if, if you, you kind of dare enter the rabbit hole, well, dare yeah. enter, we all enter the rabbit hole. Yeah. But it's about coming back out it's knowing and and we all have someone that can help shine light a little bit and show us open up our 
eyes to hopefully, actually. Yeah, yeah oh, well, hopefully. Do. We don't all have that. You're right, you know, hopefully. But you've got Lynn. I um, do. Yeah, so she's been great support and yeah. um, a tower of strength and yeah. balance when you don't have balance, whether it be physical or, you know, that internal emotional balance, um, that steady guide. Um, what your I mean, I mean, to to do the program in itself, I would say would be testing you because it's phys- There's a physical exertion. The PD warrior. Yeah. Oh, there is. Yeah, there is. Um, but also, there's a mental component that comes with that. That's you're so right. That's what the book says. It's physical and mental. Hmm. So how do you keep? You know, with the challenge of Parkinson's, how do you stay? positive how do you stay balanced i know that lynn's there how do you then incorporate what she supports you with but also your own because you know people can tell us things till the cows come home but we need to take it on board so what do you take on board for you to help you come back into yourself and your own strength into your own warrior Mm. there's Hardly been a day when I don't do at home the core exercises that I do every Thursday at Ride. Mm-hmm. There are 10 core exercises in the book. and I haven't done them today, but I will do them this, mm-hmm. this afternoon. Yeah. So I'm practicing what this book says every day. Yeah. Uh, and I can do those at home because if they've become like at first they were some of them were a bit difficult to do. Um, it's coordination mm-hmm. um, and doing two things at once and then sometimes three things at once. Like over at Ride, they get you to name the Prime Ministers of Australia in the last 15 years as you're trying to do that back and forwards and they might ask you to throw something up in the air, you know, a scarf up and catch it whilst you're doing that. So. They do. They can always get you to the point where you can't do it. Uh-huh. But that point is pretty advanced for me. Yeah, that's why I, I feel. Am I kidding myself, or, or you know, is my balance worse than it used to be? Have I ever fallen over? No. Mm. Have you ever felt like you're, you're going to fall over? Yeah. Mm. How do you go in the shower in the morning? These are not questions that they ask you. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I'm starting to hold on to a tap, you know, as I wash my hair, mm-hmm. um, that type of thing. And so, so that's an indicator to me that something's happening. And yet when I'm tested, you know, everything's fine. Mm. Mm. Yeah. How much, I mean, uh, you, you know, it's – from what you've said, it's so hard to know um, how much of it is you being precautious, and rightly so, but how much of it is also you being precautious with that worrisome you? Not because I'm suggesting that's what it is, yeah. but is that something mm. that you've thought about? Is it because clearly you can feel, you're saying that you can feel the balance or the imbalance at times? Yeah, I, I do. And you're needing to hold on to something. Yeah, when I sit down like this or driving a car and that I'm, I'm normal, but it's, yeah, when I'm standing up or mm. walking, it's, it's a bit different. 
I think the answer to your question, Susie, is I th- I'm too serious about this. It's a degenerative uh, disease. Yeah, yeah. That means I don't know, and neither does the doctor know what the what lies ahead. Yeah, and and it affects you in the first place in different ways. Mm. What, what's happening to me is quite different to what's happening to other people mm-hmm. and what's happening to them is quite different to the next person. So you don't have any idea really mm. of how it's, how it's going to affect you. Um, good meaning people, I went to a funeral the other day and one of the guys there, see, and this is an example of I was stored it away, but I shouldn't have, but I have. Um, a friend is at the funeral and he says, how you going? I said, I've got bloody Parkinson's. And, oh, my father had that. And he then told me all the things that had happened to his father. And I thought, oh, no, I don't want any of those to happen to me, you know. Mm. And and that's, I think, if you, if you start worrying about yeah. what, what yeah. might happen to you, mm. well, that could be affecting how you feel now. Mm. And you're, you're reading into things too much because you think, ah, oh, the wor- worst things are coming. It yeah. just started when, when in fact, physically anyway, well, they haven't started because you can do bloody everything we're asking you to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there's, a, there's, you know, from what you're saying, there's a great level of uncertainty about what this means for you. But because of that, it's so much easier to read into things that maybe are not there or read right. into what other people might be saying, yeah. you know, uh, without really thinking about how that may affect you. That's right. Um, so there is a real need then to stay incredibly balanced inside, in your mind, in yeah. your attitude to things, which takes, I mean, I, you know, when you say that, when I think about this, I feel like, Bill, we are all called, we're, we're all being called to do that every minute, every moment of the day. And I, I don't know this just because of the work that I do and that I hear my clients say that, but also because I'm being called to do that every day, yeah. whether it be in the morning when I'm preparing, you know, helping organize the day with the kids and I see part of me going, you know, doing something that I may not enjoy, whether it be, you know, mm. saying things that I might regret later, rushing, you know, rushing um, my children um, or something else, you know, like recently lost my dad. Yeah, that's right. So I get hit with um, grief on days where I can't predict that. That's right. So what happens then? You know, I, I really feel like there's a real sense of we need to count on ourselves to pick ourselves up and we need to do what we need to do to help us find that inner light somehow to keep going despite mm. what may or may not be happening in our yeah. life. Um, I'm a bit spoilt, Susie. See, I've always had a very healthy life and here for the first time in my life something serious has happened to me. But what Lynn says and, and I agree with is that mm. everybody can think that. The healthiest person alive could think, you know, what's going to happen from here on, yeah. Um, so that you're no different. You're, you're, in fact, you're luckier in a way because you know what what's going on, 
a lot of people don't know, and, and you're doing things to try to counter it, but a lot of people don't know and they'll mm. be dead this time tomorrow because they'll have a heart attack or a stroke or mm. whatever. And, mm. I, and I think about that and I think, yeah, what am I, you know, I'm a bloody. I don't talk about it unless yeah. we like this, but Lynn knows mm. what I'm like. She's the only one that does. Mm. But that's a healthy comparison, isn't it? In psychology, we call that downward comparison when we, and I don't know if that's fair to what you're saying, that that's how you'd like it, but it's just, you know, it's a, it's a label for comparing yourself to those who are worse off. For me, it's more of a reality check. I prefer the term reality check. Yeah. How am I? I'm here. Okay. I'm doing everything that I can. I can't do too much because there's a balance to that as well, you know. Yeah. Don't want to exert yourself too much, whether that be physically. This is, you know, in your case, Bill. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you got to maintain that balance and that humour. Yeah, I know. Huh? We get it that we, it, we we can take things too seriously. So, which is why I've, I have always loved being around people who um, have a great sense of humour. Yeah. I remember when I was getting married or even before I found, you know, my, my husband, John, <laughs> for a life partner is I knew that I just needed to find someone who can make me laugh. Yeah. Um, to me, that's important. I need to have laughter in life. And there are days where I'm missing that too and days where um, when it comes, boy, it feels good. So much mm. so, Bill, that – I feel like I need to go to a laughter class. You know, one of those laughter classes. (laughs) I or or maybe I just need to hang out more with you, Bill. Um, Yeah. What are you doing for lunch today? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Because you know what? We'll cherish that. We'll remember that. Um, See another thing that happened, Susie. Sorry, but but that it's another example of what's stored away. Yeah. Which is generating these negative thoughts I have. Um, the, the, the head doctor over at Ride brought a woman in to have a talk with me. I'm a bit of a star performer, see, at this stage. <laughs> this is about 12 months ago. And she, the woman um, that the doctor explained was thinking about joining the PD Warrior Program. So I'm telling her how good it is and singing its process in front of the head doctor. What else would I do? But I, I was sincere. I was yeah. telling the truth. And this woman came out and said, oh, yeah, I've heard it all before. But the quality of life, oh, I, I pity for you. The, the quality of life that, that you surrender when you have Parkinson's. And I've never forgotten that. And I thought, Thanks a lot. And I don't think the doctor liked it. She didn't join the program, by the mm. way. I didn't convince mm. her. But I thought, yeah, the quality of life is just taken away from you when you get Parkinson's. It's just another. So how do you reframe that? How do you un, um, how do you turn that around in a way that it's not niggling somewhere at the back, you know, um, know. creating worry? I don't know because it does – it's like the comment at the funeral the other day. Yes. It just will recur. It, yeah. I, I don't know how I stop. Okay. I don't think of it much. Yeah. But, but I think when that guy the other day at the 
speech pathology classes started off in such a negative way, I had a flash of that woman. Yeah, that's what she said, quality of life. Mm, mm. And the other day Nick said his father had it and my godfather, what his father ended up with was you'd be lucky you just had bugs. <laughs> he had problems with everything. Yeah, yeah. You know, like if we come back to the worry, um, worry are really thoughts that we create about the future, about something which hasn't happened. Mm. And we all do it but in different proportions and degrees. So I wonder how much of what you're doing now every day is helping you be that star performer, as you've said, but also, you know, reminding you yourself that you're doing so much over and above what may be an ordinary um, not ordinary, but a person who is diagnosed with Parkinson's would be doing because you are taking it seriously, rightly so. I would be too. Um, you're committed to doing what you need to do to help you stay mm. in check or in balance or, you know, keep functioning, have a, have a good quality of life. Yeah. And it's, that's, you know, that's all you can do. That's right. Yeah. And keep yourself in that. I mean, the hardest thing is, isn't it, living each day as it comes, um, although some planning needs to happen, but that's got nothing to do with the worry part. No. Planning yeah. is, you know, planning is thinking constructively mm. about how I want to, what I need to put in place. I suppose one of the things that I'd like to finish our conversation today is what do you hope to, you know, envision in the next few years what is your ideally given what you're doing each day and each week i can only hope susie what what i hope is that in time i'll be able to look back and say well see that day you were talking to susie you were talking about how things on the balance issue are becoming in your mind at least worse um but what's happened in the last 12 months or two years? Nothing. So what's going to happen in the next 12 months or two years? Nothing. So, you know, the time might be on my side. Mm. It won't work if in the next 12 months, you know, I've got the shakes and, yeah. I, yeah. and all sorts of other things that some people get mm. when they get Parkinson's. But that's what I hope happens. And mm. I, I'm doing all these things because I think I owe it to Lynn, and I, I can't just sit back and let it happen. I can't do that. I've yeah. never been able to yeah. do that. Um, so, yeah, that's that's why I do it. Um, yeah. And, you know, I can't be there every day, but I do those 10 exercises um, yeah. every day. Committed to that. Um, and, and there's a comment in this book, Susie, that by the author, that if you've been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease fairly recently, it doesn't stand true if if you've had it for some time. Mm. Um, if you've been newly diagnosed, then what the rest of your life entails is up to you. Mm -hmm. 
you have a major role to play in what the rest of your life will be. Yeah. And these exercises um, have got to be part of it. And I've decided that, yeah, medication, exercise, and association with people like yourself mm. through being, going to ride every week, every yeah, week, every Thursday, and an association with people that don't have Parkinson's by going to the lunches, walking the dog, yeah, you know, yeah. that type of thing. Yeah, yeah. I just hope it works. It, what you what you remind me of, because that's a powerful statement, what you read in the book, what you remind me of is what a, um, a psych, American psychologist said, whose name now escapes me, but it will come to me when you're gone and we're finished. <laughs> um, he, he would say to his patients um, who are taking medication and who would often not think that there's anything that they can do um, is, so what are you going to do to help the medication work better? Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. Yeah, right. because we can always make a difference and we can always um, have an impact on how we choose to show up day to day and choose to show up in a relationship to whether it be our symptoms, whether it be Parkinson's or with ourselves too. Yeah. Um, that flows on to other people, you know. Yeah. How I seem to Lynn is important for her mm. own health. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, well, I certainly hope that this conversation touches someone and that it inspires someone in their own journey, whatever they may be going through. And struggling with because, um, Bill, your determination and persistence and patience is really admirable. So thank you for the opportunity to share your journey. Thanks, Susie. Can I tell you another joke? Yes, please. We get to finish with a joke. I was breathalyzed sometime. I may have told you this one. <laughs> oh, this is real life story. Yeah, it's a true okay. story. <laughs> Lynn's a bit straighter than me when I come to be in a silly mood she's she, she's yelling at me when this happened I get pulled up for a breathalyzer and the copper said um good evening sir daddy don't tells me what it's all about like they always do he said when did you have your last drink and I said shit I didn't know I had <laughs> <laughs> he was okay he, he was a younger guy and he looked like he he could take it he's oh that's a good one <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. Thank you. Thank okay, you for Susie. that. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Susie. Thank you for listening to Susie Petrozzi's Empowered Conversations. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe. Leaving a review helps others find the podcast. And for more information, visit susiepetrozzi.com.